This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. It's wet. It's windy. It's turf moor. And we love it. This is a new Premier League season, and this is the Known and Never podcast. Hello and welcome to another season of the Known and Never podcast, season seven. How is it season seven already? Time certainly flies when you are having fun. I am, of course, your regular host, Natalie Bromley, and I am joined this week by two of our new look, jazzy, exciting new panel. Now, the lineup for this week was supposed to be um, Robbie making his second season appearance, but he was useless and he's not on from some technical things. So new season, same old Robbie. We'll deal with him next week. So hopefully you'll, you'll see Robbie next week. Um, so we're joined instead by the man of the hour. Like this man doesn't save our bacon enough, producer Matt. Pro- Matt, I do like having you on this side of the microphone. Uh, yeah, I, and I prefer to be in the uh, the panellist seat rather than the host. Good, good. Um, and joining us as well this week is, well, he's a new panellist, but he's also a familiar voice. But making his debut as a permanent signing is, of course, Tom Whitaker, also known on Twitter as Claret Tom. Claret Tom? Is it Claret Tom? Tom, what's your Twitter? I think it's Tom Claret, actually. Just Tom Claret. Close enough. Well, you listeners will remember Tom from our postcard from Istanbul feature last year, which actually ended up being... If I remember rightly, certainly one of our most popular features, but I think it was actually our most listened to segment in the end as well. Um, Tom, we are absolutely delighted to have you this season. It's always a pleasure having you on and we're looking forward to, to chatting away with you. Delighted to be back. Thank you very much for having me. No problem. So we have got loads to talk about. So let's dive straight in. We're going to look in the first half of this week's show at the transfer window in general. Let's have a look at what you and our panel made of the the signings and the exits at Turf Moor and how that impacted on on the first team. And then we're going to have a look at the game itself. Certainly um, an absolute masterclass in ruthless striking from our our boys up front. And we'll analyse what basically went right for us at home on Saturday. Um, And then we'll move into part two of the show where this week's talking point is going to be of course, VAR. Could it be anything else given the start of the Premier League season in this brand new world that we're all in? 
So firstly, let's have a look at the transfer window. Now, before we started this week's recording, we went to Turf Moor and we asked you what you thought of the transfer window. Hi guys, George Poole here outside Turf Moor after a brilliant 3-0 win. I cannot believe it. That cross for the second goal from Eric Peters was unbelievable and it's made the transfer window look even better than I thought. I think he'll be in the side for a good few months now after that performance. Uh, Peacock Farrell comes in, hopefully he's got good potential and I think Vox has been replaced in the long run by Gerard, which obviously we all love. The squad's looking really competitive now. I fancy us for a good season and especially if Danny Drinkwater can get himself fit and in the squad. Good transfer window. I think this transfer window started really, really well. We had early signings of J. Rod and Peters. That built up some expectations and created lots of talking points for fans. Those expectations were soon to be dashed, though, with news of all our other targets going elsewhere. Example, Morpé, Adams, etc. However, we didn't lose Tarkovsky. We got the cherry and the cake with the last-minute loan signing of Drinkwater. Overall, I think it was a good window for Burnley. My view on Burnley's summer transfer window was it was a very Burnley window. We've clearly addressed the main areas we needed to. Left back, striker and also belatedly central midfield using the loan market. We've also cashed in on Tom Heaton who would have walked for nothing next summer and brought in a young prospect in that position. All for about £5 million net. It's never going to get fans overexcited or make the back pages but it's another small step on the prudent journey as we start our fourth consecutive season at this level. Yeah, some interesting points there. Tom, let's come to you first. Now, we ran a poll on Twitter um, basically to ask the listeners what they thought of the transfer window of general. And I think we gave them a few options. I know know producer Matt set this up. But 68% of our voters said that they felt that the transfer window out of 10 was sort of 9 to 7 out of 10, which made our first team slightly stronger. Do you share that? Do you do you feel that it was still disappointing or were you relatively happy? Uh, I think nine's probably a little bit generous. I'd probably be hovering more around the six, seven mark myself. Uh, I think probably first and foremost, with any of our transfer windows, the the, the thing that I'm looking at first is did we lose any big players? Um, and hanging on to Tarkovsky was probably the best bit of business we've done in the window, I think. Uh, obviously, we did lose Heaton. I think we're going to talk about that a bit more in depth later on. Um, but that was kind of an expected last week. I think probably everyone knew we were going to lose one of Pope or Heat in this window. Um, I think the players that we've brought in, by and large, look like they have strengthened us. I think Rodriguez is something that we needed up front, which is a different option to uh, to Barnes and Wood. Uh, obviously, with Vidra not really getting a look in, uh, it's good to have someone you can bring off the bench who gives you a little bit more guile, a little bit more craft. So that was a good signing. And for the transfer fee as well, it was a no-brainer. So I think that was a really good piece of business. Um, Peters coming in, a uh, similar kind of uh, signing to a similar kind of player to Stephen Ward. I think probably quite solid, quite dependable. Uh, it's not going to get the pulses racing, but it's what we needed in that position. And again, it was cheaply done, so can't complain with that sign. And he's got a good pedigree; he's played a lot at the top level. Um, and then Peacock Farrell, uh, a young player. I haven't heard great things about him from the Leeds fans, but you, you back. Billy Mercer to do wonders with any young keeper we get in. Again, for his age and his potential, the fact that he's already got a few international caps, I think we got him for a really good price. And uh, and obviously the last signing was Drinkwater. That's what we all knew we needed was a midfielder. Uh, he, again, he's got fantastic pedigree. He's a Premier League winner. 
I think again he gives us a little bit more, a little bit of something that we're missing in that midfield with Defoe not playing there. Someone who's perhaps a bit calmer, gets the foot on the ball, sprays it around a bit more. I think Westwood and Cork are more kind of up and down, box to box terrier kind of midfielders where Drinkwater is the kind of player who can slow the game down a little bit, and I think we do lack that at times. So yeah, I would say uh, I wasn't disappointed with any of the players that we brought in. Uh, the in terms of the financials, we've bought. You, you probably think, looking from the outside, you would have liked us to have spent a little bit more money. But uh, for the objectives we've got for the season, which realistically are going to be to finish, you know, above the relegation zone first and foremost, I think the squad that we've put together is more than capable of doing that. And if we can do that on the sort of budget that we've done it on, then so much the better. So, uh, yeah, I think nine is probably a little bit generous. I think we'd have been looking for a bit of spending a little bit more money, a little bit more star quality coming in for that kind of a window. But six or seven, solid. Uh, is the squad better? Yes, it is, I think. So, yeah, overall, I think it was it was a decent window. Yeah, excellent. That's a, a good analysis there, Tom. Um, and I completely share your views with those. I, I don't disagree with anything you've said. Um Obviously, Matt, Tom's talked about the players that have come in and, and touched briefly on the heat and going out. But do you think that we left ourselves exposed anywhere in the squad? Do you think there was somebody that we should have brought in in any position that maybe we didn't? Um, I, I don't think so, because like uh, like Tom mentioned, heat and aside, no real key area. You know, nobody nobody left. We kept all the Taki. Um, as it stands, we haven't sent Jimmy Dunn back out on loan. So centre-backs were kind of covered. Um, we replaced Stephen Ward. Um, we've kind of, you know, we've added a fourth striker. So if you write it down, I mean, you probably saw that tweet that came out after deadline day that listed our squad. Um, you know, you, you've got your two teams of 11 there um, and you'd probably be quite happy for, for any of those to be stepping out um, in a Burnley shirt. What you've got to what you've got to look at as well is Burnley are now established and have a reputation of, of having a solid eleven that doesn't change very much. So if you're a player and your agent comes to you and says Burnley are interested in you, do you want to go to Burnley? Then you're going to be looking at it and you're going to be looking at well, am I going to play if I go to Burnley? And you're going to be looking at all the people who've come to Burnley over the last few years and have spent 80% of their time sat on the bench and then maybe moved on, whether it's a loan or whether it was a signing. So there may be a hesitance for players to actually come to us if they want to be playing every week. You know, We're not necessarily a club for people to come to if they want to play every week. Um, and if people are expecting the board to be spending big, big money to bring in a big, big name, then that person's going to be playing. That means that somebody out of our starting eleven from Saturday isn't. So who are we dropping? You know who's not good enough for us. I mean, we we all came off the turf on a on a big high on Saturday. But if you had to turn around and, and drop one of those players next week, who are you dropping? So um, I think every every position is more than covered for. Um, but I don't think our squad could be much bigger because. You know, a third choice in a position is really never going to get a go. Yeah, that's true. Ask Kevin Long whether or Gibson whether they have any options. Um, I think that's um, a good point, Matt, about 
you know, who do you drop? And one of the things that's really been bugging me since the weekend, and this is a nice problem to have, is exactly who's going to make way for Drinkwater. I think it's very clear that he is going to play and he's probably going to be in the starting lineup because, well, number one, it, it, we understand it's part of his loan terms that he has to play. And if he doesn't play him, he's going back to Chelsea in January anyway. That's, that's part of the conditions. Um, but, you know, he's got to replace either Cork or Westwood. And and I look at those two and I just think, I, John, I honestly don't know who I would drop. I, I think it's probably going to be Cork, but that's a really tough one. Um, you, you mentioned that squad list that was circulated on Twitter after the game. Actually, it was Tom Smith, if I remember rightly, who circulated this. And I've got a copy here. Um, listen to this for our current, I guess, first 11 and then second first 11. Um, Pope and Hart, Lawton or Bardsley, Tarkovsky or Long, me or Gibson, Taylor or Peters, Goodmunson or Lennon, Westwood, Hendrick, Drinkwater or Cork, McNeil or Brady, Wood or, well, Wood and Barnes or Rodriguez and Vidra. And in that, we've not even mentioned Stephen Defoe yet. Now, Tom, I know we're frustrated with the transfer windows and we know we wish we had some big name signing or a bit of creativity or somebody fast. But generally, I can't remember us having 22 players. You could literally put two for any of those two starting 11s out and you'd probably get same, if not a very similar result. Yeah, I think actually that is a fair point. Uh, when you look at some of the teams we've put out in the Cups, uh, I think the one that sprang to mind there where you're talking about the strength of the second eleven was... Um, I think it was Port Vale a few years ago in the League Cup when we had like Matt Jilks in goal and he threw one in. Uh, and you look at, yeah, I mean, Joe Hart, obviously he's, we've had our ups and downs with him, but the pedigree that he's got to be sitting on a bench for a club of our size is is pretty significant. Um, Bardsley and Lowen, there's not much between them. The performance of Peters suggests that there's probably not that much between him and Taylor. Gibson's a £15 million player who can't get in the team. Uh, Rodriguez is probably just as good as Barnes or Woods, probably a slightly different player. But you've got Aaron Lennon, a former England international, ready to come on as a, on on the wing as well. Um, probably the only position we looked a bit light on Saturday was in the middle of midfield, and that's just because Drinkwater wasn't on the bench. So yeah, I think actually um, you can see where the difference has been in the investment. Like the starting eleven probably hasn't changed as much as you might have expected it to after three or four years of Premier League football and Premier League money. But the strength and depth on the bench can, compared to what we had, especially the first couple of years we were in the Premier League under Sean Dyche, it is a massive difference. So, yeah, it's it's a good point. Uh, and and you, if you sort of take a step back and look at it over the over the years, you, you can definitely see the difference, yeah. Matt, I know you're a massive fan of Tom Heaton, so it must have been particularly painful for you to see him go. We knew and we'd been, been warned coming into this season that one of the keepers had to go and we simply couldn't have Pope Heaton and Joe Hart at a club with only one of them playing. Do you think that the club made the right decision in keeping Pope and letting Heaton go or would you put it the other way around? I think... Yes, I, I think if you're looking to the future, then uh, you, you've got to keep the younger guy who, you know, he, he's not inexperienced anymore by a long stretch. He did the best part of the season for us, hardly put a foot wrong, uh, got called up to the England team, went to a World Cup. Um, yeah, there's, yeah, there's no problem with Pope. Uh, and he showed that on Saturday. He was awful conditions uh, and he's pulled off a, a couple of great saves to keep a clean sheet. Um, so yeah, head says you keep Pope. 
your heart would, would say, oh, you've got to keep Heaton. He's a club captain. He's been with us six years. He's, he's such a wonderful ambassador for the club. But at some point, everybody's got to move on. And, you know, the news was that Aston Villa's contract offer was much better than what uh, Burnley could offer him. Um, and it must have been an incredibly hard decision for Heaton as well, as as well as the board, really. And they, they've taken the money now. You know, they, they he could have gone on a free and we would have all been screaming even more. Um, you know, if he's gone there, if he's earning more, if he's setting up, you know, himself for and his family financially by doing a few years of Villa who were throwing money at him, then, you know, all the best to him, fair play to him. And you never know, he might come back when Billy Mercer retires and, and, and just coach all our young lads through and make them all just as good as he was. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. As painful as it was to see Heaton leave, I think over time it will prove to be the right decision keeping Pope. I don't know if you two watched the Villa game the weekend. I, I felt sick. I couldn't watch Heaton. It was, especially when he was playing off good saves. And I have to say... Um, I was quite pleased when when Spurs did did score those two goals, just about three goals in the end, just because I really want Tom to do well and I, I want him to go and be a massive success at Villa. But we can't be having Villa taking bonus points off, um, off, off, off like away at Spurs for a, for a start. Um, especially as I now, I think Villa will do well this season, so I now see them as being around us around that hopefully twelfth to fourteenth place, so they can they can stay down there. Um, so let's move on to the game itself, and Matt, sticking with you, I think we can probably gloss over that first half performance because it was a very one, not one sided. It was a very well, it was just almost two sides just feeling their way back into the Premier League and also not really setting off with all guns blazing. I know the conditions made it bad, but I don't really think that the uh, the game was much of a spectacle in that first half. So let's pick it up at half-time, where I thought that either Deitch put something in their half-time coffees or said something to them, but it was like they were a team possessed when they came out after that after that first half period. Yeah, there was, a, there was a definite step up in the second half. Um, and I, th- I think they just realised that the Saints were there for the taking, really. I think that, you know, the, the, we'd have the ball in the net in the first half. Um, and Saints had pressed as well, you know. Um, there was a good save from Pope just before half time. But it was all kind of seemed to be coming from Redmond. There seemed to be not much coming from Adams or Ings. So I think. After weathering that first half and still being in the game at half time as we as we quite often do, I think Dice just kind of said, "Look, you know, let, let, let's really test them and, and see what happens." Um, and I think, you know, you, we got a little bit of a help with that first goal with a swirly wind, and I think that was just the moment. Then Saints heads dropped, our heads went up, and and we just killed off the game in twelve minutes. How do you think Danny played, Tom? I know a lot of our uh, listeners are always very keen to see how former players are doing. I personally thought at the time that he was having quite a quiet game and I didn't think he was that effective. But actually, for me, the start of Saints' demise happened when they took him off and they just seemed to capitulate when Danny went off the pitch. Yeah, I don't know how much of that was down to him coming off because, to be honest, I think if, if he hadn't read his name out over the tunnel before the game, you wouldn't have known he was playing. I mean, I don't know if it's because he, he was playing out wide on the right, which I've never, I never saw him play there for Burnley. Uh, I always saw him more of a bit of a link-up player in the, in the number 10. That was his sort of best position as far as I was concerned. 
Uh, a couple of times he tried to slip a three ball through in the first half and it didn't really come off. But uh, he was he was pretty much pocketed, I thought, by Peters. Um, I think it's probably just a coincidence more than anything else that they uh, they they looked a lot worse when he came off because I don't think he made a massive difference to what they looked like going forward. Maybe it's because he was giving the fullback a bit of protection and they, they're the kind of things you don't always see as a fan and maybe after he went off, the guy who came back on wasn't giving them that, that, that kind of protection down the left-hand side and that's why we had a bit more joy. So perhaps if I was being generous to him, I'd say that, but I didn't really notice that at the time, if I'm being honest. I just kind of, I thought it's it's really kind of a shame to see I think all the injuries have taken their toll. He doesn't look, uh, he doesn't look like half the player he was when he was when he was with us. And I still wish him all the best. So it's a shame to see it. So what about Adams, um, Matt? I think that was another one who was on Burnley's radar as well. And and I actually thought he was pretty quiet as well. In fact, I think Tom's right. The only real effective performer was probably Redmond, maybe with Bertrand as well. But I thought, considering that we were quite gutted when we lost Danny and we were targeting Che Adams for a long time, I, I didn't. I think Tom's right. I don't think either were that effective. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I was sat right down at the, at the tunnel end. So, you know, the action in the first half, it, it, it was hard to see. But, you know, looking at the match of the day, uh, highlights, you, you barely see Che Adams... In, um, threatening really, like I say, it, it did all seem to come from Redmond, um, and, and I thought at one point that you know one of the, one of his shots was was just going to go in because he, he was getting closer and closer. Um, but yeah, maybe it shows you know Adams is is still adapting to the pace of the Premier League. We talk about that so many times. How the difference between a Championship level game uh, and a Premier League level game. Um, and you know he was banging him in last year down there in the championship, but maybe it's going to take him a little bit of a time to adjust um, to this level and to the kind of well-organized defenses that he's going to come up against. Okay, so what? I mean, taking aside the Southampton performance, and I think I raised that mainly because I've seen a few newspaper reports that maybe haven't been as kind to Burnley as they should be in terms of giving us credit and a lot of people were suggesting that Saints had an off day and that very much contributed to a flattering scoreline for us but Tom I think the main thing for us to consider is just how effective our strikers were now much was said about Barnes not scoring in pre-season but goodness me he looked ruthless and all three of the goals were just from players who knew exactly where the net was and they just did not miss those opportunities. Yeah, Barnes, he's a funny player, isn't he, Barnes? Like, a couple of years ago, I wouldn't have thought that he would ever get you five, ten goals, well, ten goals in the Premier League. Uh, he, you know, when he, especially the first couple of seasons we had him in the Prem. He was a, a grafter, a hustler, a bustler, but he always looked to lack that little bit of quality. I mean, he, he could he could get the odd spectacular goal like Man City away or Tottenham away, but he never seemed to do it on a consistent basis. But what he seems to have added in the last couple of years is, like you said, that kind of, that ruthless finishing instinct uh, and the two goals that he scored, uh, did, he took them so well. I think this, the second one, especially, I think the first one, he was maybe a little bit fortunate that the keepers let it go through him. I know he's hit it low and he's hit it early, which is what they say to do. And that's what, that's why it's gone in. But uh, the second one, it the, he tracks the ball all the way. And I think to, to take that first time and finish it low and hard, like he does, it, it makes it look really easy, but I think that's a really difficult finish. And it's the kind of thing that, a year or two ago, if you'd have asked me, you know, Wood, Barnes, Vokes, who, who's going to score that, who's least likely to score that one, I would have, I would have definitely said Barnes. So 
uh, yeah, really, he's really stepped up and he, he looked a much better player than Ings and, and Adams on the day. And uh, and even Wood didn't, he normally back in to get into those sort of positions, but even he had perhaps a bit more of an off game than he than he has been doing in pre-season. Uh, so, yeah, I think up front, we look really well stocked this season and, and you wouldn't bet against all three of them strikers scoring at least 10 goals this season. And if you've got three strikers, you can score 10 in the Premier League, then you're going a long way to, to having a decent season. Yeah, exactly. I kind of feel that poor Matty Vidra is going to be brushed down the pecking order again. Um, that raises a, quite an interesting point, actually, Tom, and that was going to be my next question. So look at that. He's made his debut already and he's linking like a pro. Matt, we've just talked about the transfer window. We've talked about improvements to the squad. Based on Saturday's performance, where does Jay fit into this? It's a very good question. Um, I think Jay is he's not a daft and... He'll have come back here knowing that he's going to have to fight uh, to get a starting eleven um, spot, um, and you know he'll have the utmost respect for the Wood and Barnes partnership. He'll have watched it last season and the season before, where they're banging in goals between them. Um, but if you can bring him on, and he can be just as effective and a, and a different player, then you know maybe we'll see him coming on earlier in the match than we've seen some of Daish's substitutions come on in the past. Um, you know, if, if he gets a start in the cup game in a few weeks um, and, and makes an impression there, you know, if someone if tweaks a groin or a hamstring and just needs a couple of games off. For me, I think adding people like Rodriguez and Drinkwater um, to this squad is, is possibly, and hopefully, offering Daish the chance to to rest players, which is not something we we necessarily have seen from him. You know, he's had his eleven, and they've played if the fit are there. Um, so maybe we'll actually see a little bit of a rotation, perhaps as well. I do hope so. I think one player who absolutely screams of needing a rest last season was Jack Cork. The poor lad, his legs were nearly going underneath him. Um, Okay, well, let, let's wrap up the the talk of the match there because this this week's talking point is VAR and obviously there's quite a few incidents in the game at Turf Moor itself that we can discuss with VAR. Um, Tom, I'm going to wrap up proceedings with you asking you who your man of the match was. Honourable mention for Eric Peters. I thought he, he really impressed me. I, I, from his kind of first half performance, I thought we'd, we had more of a Phil Barsley than a Matt Lowton on our hands in terms of... Uh, crossing ability but uh really stepped up in the second half that that fantastic ball for the second goal but i always think if you sent a forward scores two goals you can't look beyond him so it's got to be ashley barnes for me excellent matt your man of the match yeah i was i was impressed by peters as well just to pick somebody different i think i'd probably go ashley westwood i saw a lot of um a lot of him just scurrying around breaking things up intercepting passing and then kind of a bit of vision as well. I mean, I think it was his ball out to Peters for the second goal and things like that. And he, I think he was trying stuff and, and can't really remember doing too many long balls on Saturday. I think it was all, you know, trying to stay on the floor and going through. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll go with Ashley Westwood for this week. Excellent. Well, I was also going to go Ashley Barnes for exactly the same logic as Tom in that you, you've got to give your centre forward if he scores two goals, the man of the match. But again, in the interest of going somewhere different, I was actually quite impressed with James Tokoski. I thought he had a very solid game as well. So, um, to be honest, there wasn't really anybody on the pitch who performed poorly. I thought everybody had a very good game and I couldn't really single anybody out for, for being uh, poor, actually. Um so yeah, there we are. If if you 
disagree with our man of the match selection, you want to tweet us, you know uh, the usual channels, let us know who your man of the match was. So moving on to the second half of this week's show and we are looking at the hot topic of the week and this week it simply had to be VAR. Um, It's come into the Premier League, we knew it was going to happen, we were all eagerly anticipating it, we all whinged about it during this summer's Women's World Cup and realised it needed fine-tuning and we actually got a first taste of it at Turf Moor on Saturday. Um, quite a lot of events to go on to look at. We we actually got to have a VR uh, VAR review. Gosh, that's a tongue twister. Um, quite early on in the game, and it was quite exciting. Um, I think in my summary, I've got here three VAR incidents and two that I want to look at that probably aren't VAR incidents, but I wonder whether they should be. Um, so Tom, let's start with you. As a general rule. Did you feel like VAR impacted your enjoyment of the game at all, particularly when you were when we scored in terms of goal celebration? Well, it's the the third game that I've been to that's had VAR. So the first one was the um, the FA Cup game last season against Barnsley, and that's by far the kind of the worst use of the VAR I've seen. The penalty that we were given, and then it took an age to overturn, and no really nobody really knew why or what was going on. You had Vidra stepping up for the run up before it was disallowed. Um, I thought it was night and day compared to that. Um, I thought it was a lot clearer why it was being used, what they were looking for. Um, it seemed to be a lot quicker as well. So it was a lot better from that point of view. In terms of celebrating the goals, the other time that I've seen it used, I went out to Portugal for the Nations League in the summer and uh, Jesse Lingard scored that goal for England that was disallowed. Um, and that one uh, never even crossed my mind to to not celebrate because at the time it didn't feel like there was anything wrong with it. So I celebrated that as I normally would. And then it was a really kind of crushing blow to uh, to see it disallowed. So I did kind of have that in the back of my mind when uh, when before this game and I was thinking I was a little bit trepidatious. But um, no, I don't think it, uh, it it had that much impact in terms of the celebration. I think probably because it was hard to see anything wrong with any of the goals at the time. The first one, obviously, he's miles on side. He's not fouled him or anything. The second one, I did have a, look, a little look at the linesman to see if he was flagging. But once the linesman wasn't flagging, I thought, well, he must be on then. I tend to trust the linesman in the Premier League. They, they don't tend to get a lot of offside wrong. And then the third one, I, I couldn't work out why they were even kind of delaying for that, for the VAR. And it, it did make me a little bit nervous when I saw the referee. You know, he's got his hand on his very performatively putting his hand to his ear to listen. Um, but I couldn't see any reason why that would ever have been disallowed, and and so it proved. So you even got a little kind of mini, uh, a mini cheer after the after the, it was confirmed on the big screen. So uh, yeah, for me, uh, it was something that I was definitely worried about with that experience in the summer. But uh, no, I think it was really well handled, and I think uh, probably because of the none of the goals were particularly contentious either. That made it a bit easier. But no, a, a positive experience, I would say, definitely. I would definitely agree with that. I was expecting chaos and fan revolt and everything, but I thought the whole operation was very slick. I didn't feel like it um, impacted on my enjoyment. 
Interestingly, Tom, I had an opposite um, reaction to the second goal. I didn't celebrate the second goal because also from where I was sat in the ground, it did look to me like one of them could have been offside. So I was just waiting, assuming that it would automatically go to a VAR review because it was close. So I didn't, and I was looking around. And then by the time I'd realised that it wasn't um, going to VAR review, the moment had passed for me. So I think that was probably my only negative in the game and that it did rob me of a goal celebration. And actually, the second goal is usually the most exciting one to to I think it's more exciting than one nil actually because you're suddenly getting a stronghold on the on the game aren't you um picking up on the the offside rule I, and please forgive me if I've got this wrong then somebody I'm sure will correct me I um I was under the impression that if it was close or the linesman was unsure about whether it was offside or not, they're under instructions that they must leave their flags down. So because it was offside, was I thought it could be offside and it was close, the linesman not putting his flag up to me only signalled that, well, actually, it might be going to VAR review. But other than that, I thought it was fine. Um, Matt, the, the unexpected one for me, which was very exciting, was... Um, after the challenge on Ben Mee, we'd all started to play again and all of a sudden it all paused and this great big sign on the screen came up saying red card review. And all of us kind of like went, ooh, that was an unexpected surprise. And exciting. It, it, it was. And and I think I'd glanced away at that point. I'd had my, all my children with me and we all drowned. And, and I just looked back up and just saw the screen with this red card review. And it took me a minute to try and figure out which, which side it was being reviewed for. And a quick look at the pitch and the, and the kind of the way the players were assembled. Was like, oh, it was obviously a Burnley free kick, so it's a Southampton red they're reviewing. But yeah, it, it is quite, it adds a little bit of, a, of drama to it as well. Um, so yeah, it, 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 but then they looked at that one and they didn't give it. Which I think we've all seen the slow mo replays over the weekend, and and you know the interpretation and and the thing about VAR is it's there to assist, but it at the end of the day it's still a human decision, um, and particularly on something like that, it's it's not it's not whether the balls cross the line or not. So um, I think we'll you know we're obviously still going to have arguments after VAR as to whether the decision was right or not. How did you feel about that, though, at the end? Because that was probably the the most controversial one out of all of our VAR decisions because I've seen it so many times after the game and I do not understand how Chardams did not get a red card for that. Yet it was still... De- and actually, somebody was saying to me on one of the channels last night, uh, not to me, me as a viewer, um, I don't get spoken to personally by television channels, um, somebody was saying on one of the channels that apparently there was um, one of the Watford players got sent off last season for a very similar challenge, appealed it and the appeal was rejected, put a second appeal and that appeal was rejected as well. And it was for exactly the same challenge. Yet here we are with VAR and suddenly that wasn't a red card. And I do wonder whether that is a frust- still going to bring in some frustration, Matt, that, it, you know, even though we've got a VAR review, it's still subject to somebody making a decision one way or the other. Yeah, it, it is very frustrating. You know, it, it, if, we, if we're all interpreting and remembering the rules correctly on, on what is a dangerous challenge, you know, going over the ball, leading with the studs, then it, is, it kind of ticked all the boxes. And whilst last season a linesman or a referee watching that once at real time, maybe from a funny angle, you can forgive them for not seeing it. The whole point of VAR is that someone's got 20 or 30 seconds to have a look at that five or six times and 
I suppose the key thing is that they're advising the referee. It's still the referee who takes the final decision on it. Um, I don't think the VAR uh, referee it has the power to overrule the referee on the pitch. So whether whether our ref on Saturday, you know, took some advice on board and then still made his own decision, and, and whether it's him we're actually blaming here and not the guy in the studio, yeah, it's. It, it's still giving us something to talk about, though, isn't it? It's not taking away the discussions at the water cooler that people thought it would. That's a really good point, actually, and not one that I'd really thought of. Everybody assumed that it would take the soul out of the game and that some of those injustices were, like you say, the water cooler moments were the injustices that we love about the game. Well, actually, <laughs> we're still talking about it now and we're still talking about decisions that they got wrong. Um Tom, a couple of things for me. Um, I think we need to be very clear here. Obviously, we know AR is only being brought in to review um, offside goals, penalties, straight red cards and cases of mistaken identity. Now, we had a couple of incidents in the first half which aren't VAR reviewable, but Maybe I wondered whether they should be. The first one was um, the Southampton keeper, Gunn, who slipped as he was coming out to collect a ball. And I still believe absolutely that he handled that ball outside of the area, but the referee um, passed on. Um, Do you want to see VAR for instances like that, or do you think that's taking it too far? Uh, I did wonder whether they'd do it just because sometimes if the keeper handles outside the box, they class it as denying a goal-scoring opportunity and you, and you do get a red card for it. So I did wonder if they could use that interpretation to go back and have a look at it if they if they wanted to. Uh, I think the, the point that a lot of people make about the VAR is that if you use it too much or if it's, uh, if it's taking too long to make the decisions, it does, it spoils the rhythm of the game and that it doesn't just affect your enjoyment of it as a viewing fan but it can really affect the way the game's going as well. I mean, in the first half, it wouldn't have been so much of an issue because there wasn't a lot of tempo, there wasn't a lot of flow to the game. But let's say uh, Burnley's 1-0 up, Ashley Barnes has scored that goal. Uh, and when the uh, just before the cross comes in for the second, say, there's a little incident like that, like the keepers maybe handled it two millimetres outside the box, or there's been a nasty tackle that was a yellow card, but maybe they want to see if it's a red, and it probably isn't, but we're going to stop and review it. A lot of the tempo goes out of the game and a lot of the rhythm goes out of the game when you stop start like that. And say, obviously, a lot of what won us the game on Saturday was the momentum that we carried. So we scored the first goal and then we quickly scored the second, we quickly scored the third. Now, if there's a lot of stop-start video decisions being made for minor infringements or things that aren't necessarily going to lead to goals or aren't necessarily going to re- lead to red cards, then that's perhaps open to perhaps uh, even a little bit of abuse. You know, players can actually deliberately do something that might influence the referee to, to, to check the VAR and slow the game down. Or even if it's not done maliciously, there can be things that affect the rhythm of the team, affect the flow of the game. And I think that's something that really sets football apart from other sports, that it isn't stop-start like that, that it does flow and that momentum and that sort of thing can play a massive part in the game. And I think if you if you keep stopping the game and killing it, you lose that kind of backing from the crowd, you use that kind of momentum flow on the pitch. And I think that would really affect the sport negatively. So I think the current interpretation where they're only going to use it for major decisions or things that are going to majorly impact the, the result of the game, that's the right way to approach it, I think, definitely. And maybe in the future, things will evolve and people will get more used to it and it will be more used for those kind of minor little details or, or extra little bits like that. But I think at, at the minute, especially to start with, 
it's the right way to pitch it for me, definitely. Here, here, I agree. Um, so, what did you think? Do you did you like VAR? Do you think it in, impacted on your enjoyment of the game? Do you want to see it dialed back? Do you want to see it used more often? You know how to get in touch with us. Tweet us, send us an email, let us know how you feel. And uh, I'm sure this is something that's going to rumble on for most of the season until we get to the point where VAR just becomes part and parcel of life, and um, we forget what it was like before we had VAR and uh, they keep telling us that it's going to get streamlined even more that decisions are going to get quicker so one thing you can get from the Premier League is that they do have the financial backing behind it and they do have the experts in the field and you expect if anybody worldwide is going to be able to make VAR a success you expect that the Premier League would be able to. Um, so that brings an end to uh, the main part of the podcast this week. We have um, looked at the transfer window, we have looked at the match and we have talked about the new VAR rule. We don't have a match preview this week and you'll notice that young Mr Roberts, Statman Dave, is missing. Well, for those of you who missed our announcement on social media, rather excitingly, we have two podcasts coming this season. This this main podcast will go out on Tuesday as usual, but we're going to be doing a Friday preview show where we will, it's just a short show, 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes at the most, where Dave and I will look at the next opponents just in time for your commute to work or your travel to the ground or your pre-match preparations. We'll look at who we're playing next. Dave's going to give us some fun facts this season about um, our opposition, a bit of a mastermind quiz. And we are going to have a quick look at the head-to-heads. And Dave's also going to be looking at the Fantasy Football League and giving us a lowdown on who the big movers and shakers are. Um, So if you haven't joined our Fantasy Football League, it's the Premier League's one, and you want to join then go to our Twitter page because um, I don't have the code. I'm not that organised. <laughs> I did to record. Do you know, I'm, I'm shouting at Robbie for not being organised to get on the show and I didn't even get the fantasy football code for you. Um, but it is on our social media. It's on our Facebook page and it's on our Twitter. So you can get it from there. It's not too late to join, jump in and, and have some fun this season. Um, if anything, just to take the mickey out of me because I'm, I'm probably going to be bottom of the league let's let's see how that goes um but before we go this week we're going to leave you with a couple of news snippets from the Burnley edition of the Lancashire Telegraph um just having a look at what's going along in the community and what's happening um the first of this week's news articles arouse erupted over the cost of policing football in Lancashire um, apparently the cost of policing Lancashire senior football clubs looks set to reach one million this year I'm not going to lie I expect that to be more. Um, Lancashire's Police and Crime Commissioner Clive Grunshaw is arguing that the likes of Blackburn, Burnley and Accrington should fork out for keeping order at their fixtures um, and they should be paying more. So that looks like it's a news story that is going to rumble on. We'll keep an eye out on this season to see how that affects our local clubs. And secondly, our second news article of this week, apparently thieves are stealing drain covers in Burnley. What is this nonsense? A number of storm drains covered. Storm drain covers have been reported missing across a town, leaving gaping holes in the roads. The disappearances have been noticed across Burnley, with residents saying the high numbers reported missing are very unusual. I don't know what's going on in Burnley, but if you're stealing drain covers, please stop it. Um, that's all we have time for this week my thanks as ever go to Tom and Matt for joining me in the studio this week and contributing to the show Matt thank you for jumping in at the last minute and Tom well done a fantastic debut appearance and uh, I'm looking forward to the rest of your season if tonight's show is just to go on um 
We also need to thank our producer, Matt, for editing and producing the show, but he's here, so we don't need to. So, Matt, thanks for everything this week. You've been the hero. Um, Thanks also to our musicians who provide our music, whose name, Matt, I don't have to hand. So thank you. If you're listening, you know who you are. And for next week, I will have that along with the fantasy football code. Um, But finally, the thanks go to you, our listeners, for downloading and listening to this podcast. Your support is very much appreciated and we would not be here without you. We will be here on Friday with our special preview show with myself, Natalie Bromley and Statman Dave. Uh, Make sure you tune in and uh, let us know what you think. I've been Natalie Bromley. This has been the No Never podcast. Until next time. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport, powered by fans.